Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Mark series, part 11. How many of you have been enjoying this so far? How many people, raised your hand if you're in this place, if you're watching online, what you can do is just type yes, have heard all 10 previous parts of this series so far. Wow, quite a few of you. That's incredible. So yeah, we're doing part 11. Pastor Tony's going to wrap up the series next week and do part 12. But we're, in our fi- or we're going to be doing Mark chapter 12 today. And specifically, I want to look at Mark 12 verse 28. We're going to look at that portion, but before I start reading from there, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. So if you're following the book of Mark and the events that are happening as we're walking through this book, you had Jesus who came on the triumphal entry. He came riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday, and people were singing, Hosanna, glory to God. He's the Messiah. They were starting to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, that he was the one who came to save the world. In fact, people wanted to make him a king on the spot. He had to stop people from making making him a king. So the people were starting to really buy in to who Jesus said he was, and they were actually getting hopeful. So at that time, it's when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they didn't like that Jesus was gaining popularity and the crowd was growing bigger and bigger and turning more of their attention towards Jesus. So they started to plot to kill him. And that's what's happening right now in the book of Mark chapter 11, chapter 12, is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're trying to trick Jesus in front of the people. They're trying to trap him in his words so that in front of the whole crowd, he would be looked at, they could could discredit him in front of the entire crowd. So they start sending people in to discredit him. Now, the reason they couldn't just go right and take Jesus out and just arrest him on the spot was they were afraid of the mob. They were afraid of the people. What will the people do if we arrest the guy who claims to be a Messiah, who they want to make king? They thought the people would turn on them. So their whole goal was to try to trick the people, try to trap Jesus in some kind of lie, some kind of blasphemous comment, to try to show the people that he isn't who he says he is. So what they did is they sent in two parties to Jesus in Mark chapter 12. They sent in in the Pharisees and the Herodians. Okay, they sent these two groups of people to try to trick Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, they were the religious people, God-fearing followers of the law. They prided themselves in their faithfulness to Jehovah. That's who they were. They knew the law, all of them. They tried to walk in or at least give the appearance that they were walking and following the law. But then you had the Herodians. These were followers of Herod, and their philosophy was much different 
They didn't really care about the law. They were all about doing what feels good in the moment. They followed the humanism, the humanistic pleasure of the the Greek culture. So you had the Herodians who were opposite of the Pharisees. These two groups did not like each other. They did not get along. However, they worked together to try to trap Jesus. I guess the enemy of your enemy is your friend, supposedly, for that's what's going on here. So they send these two groups of people in, and they try to trap Jesus, and they ask him this question in Mark chapter 12, verse 13 through 17. We're not going to get into it. I'm just going to tell it to you. They say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? This was the question they asked Jesus. Now, Caesar was the leader of the pagan Roman Empire, and he not only oppressed the Jews, but he taxed them extra hard. And so what happened is, why this was going to be a trap or why this was going to trick Jesus is because if he said, yes, you should pay taxes, the Pharisees were going to accuse him of being a compromiser supporting the blasphemous Roman system. But if he said, no, you don't need to pay taxes, the Herodians could charge him with sedition against the state, that he was purposely inciting people to rebel against Rome. So this is why they ask him this question, because if they trap him in this question, whether he says yes or no, right then and there, they're going to discredit him and arrest him on the spot. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, though, he pulls out this great answer. He says, does anyone have a coin on them? They show him a coin. He says, whose picture's on that coin? It's Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He completely answered that the only way he could without getting in trouble. Because he's full of infinite wisdom. But that's what's happening here is they are trying to turn the crowd against Jesus. And the whole Mark chapter told all about that. If If you read through it, people trying to ask Jesus weird questions, trap him in different answers. And then in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, another teacher of the religious law asked Jesus a question. We're gonna pick that up right here in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. The word of God says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to this debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required of the law. 
Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask any more questions. I love that. They were done. They realized they could not trick him. So in this portion of scripture, you have a very, very familiar passage to all of us who have been in church for any length of time. These two words, what's the greatest commandment? What, what are the two things? And, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. If you've been in church, you've heard us talk about this, preach about this. You've heard this before. But sometimes what I've learned is sometimes it's the simplest, most familiar passage of stri- scripture we struggle with the most. It's, it's like one of those things when you, you know that if you exercise every day and you lower your caloric intake, you will lose weight, but it's still hard to do it, right? You know if you spend less than you make, you won't go into debt, but sometimes you want that thing now, you don't want to wait for it. So sometimes the simplest, most familiar passages of scripture are the ones we need to revisit to find out how we're doing in these two commands. How are we doing with this command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? And how are we doing with loving our neighbor as ourselves? So today I wanna wanna talk through this a little bit. And I'm gonna draw a little bit for you. So pardon my handwriting, okay? I'm going to tell you right now, it's really bad. It's somewhere between a six-year-old and like an 85-year-old doctor, somewhere in there. Okay, draw a little triangle here. So the goal is to love God. That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind all your soul, all your strength. Well, if we know that that's what we're supposed to do, if we know we should be doing that, what prevents us from really going after that with all of our heart? So I want to look at a few things that might prevent us from following this command. Number one, busy. Sometimes we just get too busy. Like we have really good intentions to spend time with God, to really get to know God, to have intimacy with Him, to carve out some time just to ask Him how we're doing in life, and and God, can you lead me and guide me, and to read His Word, and to gain wisdom. But we get busy. There's so much going on in our world right now. There's so much on the news. There's so much things to keep up with. The world is changing so fast, and we're trying to change with it, and figure out if we should do this, or if we should do that. And so we get busy, everyone's caught up doing stuff, we're running around, we got to-do lists, we got all this stuff going, and so we just get, we get too busy to really go after this command with with all of our heart. Maybe some of our heart, but with all of our heart, we, we just get busy. Another thing that prevents us from this is pain. Some of us have just gone through a ton of pain in this life. I mean, this last year has been hard. And when you walk through pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, the loss of a loved one, uh, 
It can be confusing. Where is God in all of this? Where is he in my life? Is he listening to me? Is he, does he answer prayers anymore? Does he heal? Does he do these things that his word says he does? And we get confused. And so pain, worry, fear, anxiety, they can distract us from going after this commandment with all of our heart. And the last thing I'm going to say that keeps us from doing this is our flesh. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes our flesh just overcomes. We know we should do something, but we do something else. We don't feel like doing this, so we let our feelings lead us sometimes instead of making good choices that make our feelings follow our choice. Sometimes we let our feelings dictate our choice. So the flesh can be powerful. And I'll tell you, these all coincide with each other. Because what happens is we get busy and we start relying on what we learned about God throughout our lives. Okay, maybe I'm not seeking him with all of my heart, all of my soul, but I, I've been a Christian for years and years and years, and I know God's word, and I know his principles, and I know kind of what to, what's right and what's wrong, and so I, I'm just going to go on that even though I'm busy. Well, then we get busy, and we don't have any substance in our life. We don't have the word in us. It's one thing to go through the word. It's another thing for the word to go through you. And so we don't have that in our lives because we're busy. So then when pain comes, when circumstances come beyond our control, what happens is we can't deal with it with a really solid faith. Because our faith isn't where it should be because we haven't spent a lot of time pursuing the Lord. And so now we got kind of a weak faith. And when you have a weak faith in God and you're starting to question who God is and you're not seeking his face and you don't have intimacy and communion with God, when this pain comes, it starts to shatter our faith. That's where a lot of people find themselves. It's like Jesus said, those who build their house on the sand, right? When the wind comes, the storms come, it blows that house away. House comes crumbling down. But if you build it on a solid foundation, when the storms come, you can handle that. But what happens is our foundation gets shaken when we get too busy to spend time, intimate moments with God. And then we end up in pain. And when we're in pain, we need an escape. And when God is not filling the void, when he isn't the thing we look to, we escape to something else. And when we escape to something else to help with the pain, when we self-medicate with alcohol, drugs, pornography, a person, whatever it may be, we end up making really poor choices. And then all of a sudden, we're in this loop and we get stuck. A lot of people find themselves right here stuck 
in their Christian walk, where they come to church, they know what they should be doing, but they just feel dried spiritually, they have a lot of doubts about who God is, and they are just kind of stagnant. Yeah, I kind of believe in God, I'll go to church, I'll do that thing, but just in case this isn't real, I'm still going to live my life and do other things as well. This is where a lot of people find themselves. But the solution is this. If we have a problem of things that keep us here, well, obviously there's got to be a solution to what can put us over the edge. And so the biggest thing I'm going to say, instead of here busy, I'm going to write in intimacy with God. Sorry, this thing starting to fall a little bit. Intimacy. So the way we really have true intimacy with God, it might be different than a lot of people think it is. Sometimes God becomes like a checklist for us. Okay, I'm going to read a chapter of his word a day. I'm going to make a prayer list, and I'm going to put five things on that list, and I'm going to ask God for those things that day. And maybe I'll put a worship song on, or I'll come to church, and that's going to be my time with God. That's not really intimacy with God. That's learning about God. That's knowing about him. I mean, I could tell you all about my wife because I live with her, I talk with her, I know, I've known her for 24, 25 years. I could tell you what she likes and what she doesn't like. I know a lot about her, but in order for us to really do life together, we gotta communicate together. We got to be on the same page. We got to talk about the busy day-to-day life, but we also, we got to have some intimate moments. We got to emotionally connect with one another. We need to go deeper to each other's heart, and that's when the marriage starts to thrive. And it's the same thing with God. With God, we create checklists and do's and don'ts instead of intimacy. And that's when it becomes religion instead of relationship. And in order to get here, we've got to slow down. We've got to slow down. If you're going to have intimacy with God, something has to go. You've got to learn to say no to a couple things in your life in order to say yes to God. Intimacy with God is the goal walking with him, communing with him. God, what do you think about this huge decision I'm about to make? And then listen for an answer. Practicing hearing the voice of God in our lives. Practicing walking with him. Spending more throughout the day, God, I'm about to go in this meeting. Can you lead me in this meeting? How should I approach this situation, God? And then listening. Intimacy with God is including him in our day-to-day life, walking with him. This is why God created us. If you look at the garden, he created Adam and even he walked with them during the day. When sin came into the world and it separated us, God sent Jesus to break the barrier, to tear the veil, to rip the curtain down. So that why we could have relationship with him. Not so we could do this and not do that, which is a good start. There are some things as Christians we should do, and there's some things we should not do. There's some ways we need to behave, and some ways we don't need to behave. 
And that's a great start, but that's not what Christianity is all about. It's about intimacy with God. It's about connecting to the heart of the Father and walking with Him and having a wisdom of the Spirit that doesn't come on our own. It only comes from walking with God. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It produces fruit. It produces the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us, speaking to us and through us. I'm a different man when I'm led by the Spirit than when I'm led by my flesh. My flesh wants to do this. I'm more angry, more impatient, more rude to people in the flesh. When I'm spending time, intimate moments with God, my heart gets soft. I start to understand people a little better. I start to have more compassion. Because that's what intimacy with God, we get his heart. But I don't know. I want us all to look. Are we Christians that are walking with the Lord? Or are we relying on what we learned in the past? So that's the one thing. Another thing, if you're in pain, the solution is inner healing. That's great writing, isn't it? Inner healing. Inner healing. As we go through life, all of us face painful circumstances. All of us. No one's exempt from dealing with pain in this world. There's hard things, there's things that we don't think are fair that happen to us. There's things that happen to us that we have to deal with that don't happen to other people. We compare and contrast and we wonder why we have to walk through this hard thing when this person doesn't seem to ever have to walk through anything hard. This pain, these things, life happening to us and it not working out the way we thought it should produces pain. And so what happens is we have a lot of Christians who are walking around in pain and in brokenness and they're reacting from that pain. So when you react with people, when you walk through life and you're trying to make the right choice, it's almost impossible because there's pain there that has been shoved down and undealt with. The beautiful thing is the more time we spend with the Lord in intimate moments, the more he softens this pain. It's an amazing thing. The less time we spend with God, the more this pain grows. And so a lot of people, I mean, I, I'm watching Christians a lot right now who are, who are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And I just realize it's because they're in pain undealt with issues that have been shoved down for far too long. And in order to get some healing, it takes intimacy with God, maybe talking to a Christian counselor, going through an inner healing course. When that pain gets dealt with, now your heart becomes soft and you actually become transformed because you experience the freedom that comes with knowing Christ. There's a freedom but yet a lot of us don't walk in that freedom. And then we have the flesh. And we give in to the flesh, but the opposite of that is 
making wise choices. Making wise choices. That's the end goal to living a successful life is making wise, God-honoring choices. But just like when you're busy and it leads to pain and then you have to escape to the flesh and then you make poor choices, this is all tied together as well. When you have intimacy with the Father, when you spend time seeking His face and doing life with Him, and you begin to get rid of this pain and go through some inner healing and you start to get free in your spirit and you start to experience joy and peace and love, all of a sudden you start making wise choices that benefit your future. Do you see how it's all connected together? And if you find yourself stuck right now in this process, where's the broken part? in your life? What's the part that you need to work on this morning? Because we probably all need to work on one of these parts. You see, intimacy with God is the key to all of this. John Eldridge has a quote in his book, Walking with God, and it says this. He says, intimacy with God is the purpose of our lives. It's why God created, it, created us, not simply to believe in him, though that's a good beginning, not only to obey him, though that's a higher life still, God created us for intimate fellowship with himself, and in doing so, he established the goal of our existence, to know him, love him, and live our lives in an intimate relationship with him. That's the goal of all of this. This is why Jesus came and died and rose again so we could have relationship with God. That is the plan. And we, when we turn Christianity into a set of do's and don'ts, we miss God's design and we become like the religious leaders of that day. Think about it. The Pharisees knew the law. They followed the law but they didn't know God. Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, you think you know God because you know the scriptures, but you don't realize that I'm the fulfillment of these scriptures. You don't know God personally. You know about him. You've studied the law, the written words, but you don't know him personally. You just have religion. You don't have relationship. An intimate walk with God is what God desires. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength is to do all of this. But it starts here with intimacy. I noticed when I was a youth pastor towards the end, it was getting harder and harder for me to see transformation take place in our students' lives, our high school students in particular. And I started to probe and try to figure out why it was harder and harder to see them live for Christ and really go after the things of God. And what I realized is because they were surrounded by things that were pulling them away from that. At school, all their teachers were telling them that evolution is fact and creation is just blind faith. 
You had a growing number of people. Their friends were turning agnostic or atheist. Uh, People weren't going to church anymore, so faith was starting to decline in their life. They had a growing number of people just accepting any religion, any style of faith, not wanting to step on anybody's toes. Every TV show that portrayed teenagers just showed them living by their flesh every day, making poor decisions without any real consequences. And so I started to see that what was happening was, and this is what I think is very hard for young people, is that we're trying to teach them about God, but they turn it into a set of do's and don'ts because they don't have relationship where they own their faith yet. But in order for a kid or any person to really make wise choices, they have to do it from a place of intimacy because rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So what you have is you have a lot of people trying to make teenagers live a certain way or think a certain way without having any intimacy or relationship with Christ, and that's just going to turn them away from God. The only way you can really make wise choices, the only way you can live a moral life is by understanding where that comes from. And that comes from having an intimate relationship with Christ. So I try to turn our youth ministry towards understanding our identity in God, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that he loves us and is for us, and he wants relationship more than anything with us. We started to see a turn. We started to see more and more students understand and grasp a relationship with God and then start to make better choices from that place because that's how it's tied together, church. This is how it works. It's got to be more than a set of do's and don'ts, which leads us to our next commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with this, do we think? We're going to draw some more. Another triangle because I can't screw a triangle up that bad. Goal, love people. That's not, that's a P, not a B. Okay. Love people. That's the goal. What keeps us from loving people? I try to really think about this, and it's kind of funny, but the first thing that I think keeps us from loving people is people have problems. (laughs) And then their problems become your problem real quick. People got issues. I don't know why they do or say the things they do, but they do. And it's usually because they have a different belief system. They were raised a different way than we were, completely different. And then some people are just flat out weird. You know, it's just just how it is. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. But people have problems. They grow up in pain. They experience life. They get issues. They don't ever deal with those problems. They shove those problems down. And then all of a sudden, you're seeing a version of themselves that's very unhealthy. A lot of people are walking around very unhealthy emotionally, never dealing with their issues. I don't need to deal with my issues, I'm fine. 
I can do this, I'm strong. And then you're a jerk to everybody. You know what I mean? It's th- this is what happens. So people have problems. And because of those problems, we get irritated with those problems and we just don't want to love them. And we all experience that. Another thing is people hurt and offend us. People hurt and offend us, usually because they have problems. Hurt people, hurt people, you've heard of that before? So they have their problems, they have their set of values that may or may not line up with our set of values. And then because they don't have the same values as us, they hurt and offend us. And this happens over and over and over again. If you've ever been hurt by another person, raise your hand. Anybody have their hand down? If you've ever hurt another human, raise your hand. Okay? This is what we do. We're human beings. We have a flesh. We don't always do, the, do or say the right things. And especially if we're not walking in intimacy with God, not dealing with our pain, it's almost impossible to do and say the right things. So we hurt people and they hurt us and now people are walking around with emotional scars. They don't trust other people. They don't buy what other people are selling. They're just, they got, what's that angle? It's just, we're walking around hurt and we don't trust people. And then lastly, I would say poor decisions is what people make. So you might be sitting here right now and someone in your life made a poor decision that set your life on the course it's on. You had nothing to do with that decision. But they made it. And because they made that decision, you are the way you are. Your life went on a certain path. And that can hurt us. That can make us not want to love people. That can make us harbor unforgiveness towards people. And so these are the things that happen. This is what prevents us from loving people, if we're honest. Their problems, they hurt and offend us. They make poor decisions that affect all of us because they're, they have problems, because they're hurt, because they're not emotionally healthy. Now all of that starts to affect the world around us. That's what we're seeing right now, church. COVID has brought the worst out in all of us, right? We're seeing the pain and what it's doing to people. How are we responding to that situation? So if there's problems, that means there's also solutions to loving people despite all these three things. The first thing I'm going to put down here is people have problems the solution is patience. Notice I didn't put solutions. People, problems, solutions. That's what we want to do, right? We want to solve all their problems. Well, this is why you are the way you are. Well, if you just did A, B, and C, you'd be fine. Oh, really? That's it? Just A, B, and C, and I'd be great. Okay. 
We want to do that. We think we're helping, but in a lot of ways we're not. And so patience is the solution to people's problems. Try to understand them. Like, what, what, what's maybe a person walking through? How have they grown up? What pain has been in their life that have created the problems they have? Someone says something that is so offensive to you. If you cannot get emotional for a minute, you can pause and you can say, hmm, I wonder where that came from. I wonder where that came from. I wonder what's really going on. So true and so hard to do. I fail at this all the time because I want to react emotionally to a person who offends me or has a problem. But the truth is, take a step back. The Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What do we do? Quick to become angry? We cut people off before they have a chance to finish what they're saying? Quick to speak? So following that simple scripture would allow us to have the patience to try to understand, even though we might not agree with someone, where they might be coming from. The next thing is understanding. Understanding. So when they hurt and offend us, it kind of goes along with this first one, but why? Why did they hurt or offend us? Why did we allow another person to control our feelings? What is it in us that allows us to get all ramped up when someone cuts us off on the expressway. My wife says it to me, why are you so upset? You just let that guy who you don't even know affect your day. You're right, why did I do that? Probably because I have issues, you know, like the rest of us. But that's the thing, we, we, we allow other people to dictate the way we feel instead of just trying to understand ourselves and understand them. Why do you get angry so quickly? Why do you get emotional so quickly? What is going on inside of us and inside of other people? How can we understand it better? How can we educate ourselves a little more so that we can understand people better, so we can actually love them the way God wants us to love them because he commanded us to do it. He didn't suggest it. He didn't say, if everyone believes the way you believe and values things the way you value it, then be good to them. No. He said the second command is just as important as the first to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we're gonna do this, we gotta understand what holds us back from actually loving a person the way we love ourselves. The last thing is forgiveness. 
Gotta let things go. Some people have been holding on to things way too long. I mean, in the last year, we have a lot to hold on to. There's things that you could hold on to about people in this country. It's polarized. And if you fall on one side or the other, it's easy to hate the other side. It's easy not to forgive the other side. It's easy to think you're right and they're wrong. And it's easy to harvest unforgiveness. I'll be honest, I struggle with this one a lot in my own life. The way that I'm wired, my personality type is I'm a loyalist. That means if I'm friends with you and we hang out, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'll be there for you. I'm going to be a good friend. But when I love deep, I feel deep. But when I get hurt, it's super hard for me to forgive and let things go. Super hard. I have to ask God every day and just walk in forgiveness even though I don't feel that way all the time in my life. I really do. It's hard for me. I know some people I talk to, some people are like, yeah, they hurt me, but you know, I let it go. I'm like, I wish I could do it that easily. But this is something I work on, and you know what? The more patience, the more understanding, the easier you can forgive, because they all work together. And I'll tell you, intimacy with God is what allows us to have these things in our lives. So how are we doing with loving people? <laughs> the other day, it was a Tuesday, I think this past Tuesday, Megan and I were out for a walk. It was a beautiful day. I think it was in the 60s. It was sunny. And we're walking down the street. And we're just enjoying this beautiful weather, this beautiful walk. And as we're walking down the street, we see a lady outside of her house, and she's doing a little yard work, but she doesn't have a real joyful look on her face. She's more grumpy, sad. You know, this is, this is kind of what you see a lot right now, is you see grumpy people. They're just kind of grumpy, because that's what all of this does, is it makes us appear to be grumpy without joy. And so I'm walking by her, and she goes, hi. And I said, hello, how are you? And she said, good, but enjoy your walk today with this nice weather because, you know, this Thursday it's supposed to snow. <laughs> this Thursday we're going to get snow flurries, we're going to get all this stuff, so enjoy it now because you won't be walking on Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciated that interaction. That just uplifted my spirit so much. So we said, okay, have a nice day. You're walking, this is, this, is, this is the outlook of people right now, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is it. There's just grumpiness all around us. So Thursday came around, and sure enough, we had hail and snow flurries on Thursday. And my wife was at a grocery store, and she walks up to the cashier, and the cashier just has this huge smile on her face. She's got this joyful smile on her face. 
And she says, oh, I'm so happy today because of the snow and because of the hail. We're going to get to see a rainbow. Isn't that amazing? I love seeing rainbows. It's so great. Enjoy it. And she was smiling and bubbly, and it made my wife's day. You see the difference? Grumpy versus joy. The world needs to see this in us. Joy. The only way we can have true joy and actually love people and uplift them like that lady uplifted my wife is by spending intimate moments with God. Let's bring it back. Intimacy with God leads to inner healing, us working on ourselves and our issues, making wise choices. All of that helps us to be patient with people, helps us to understand them and ourselves better and able to forgive and let things go. And all of a sudden now we can walk in joy and peace instead of walking around grumpy all the time. That's what the world needs to see. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, number one. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself because when you're doing those things, you are a joy to be around. You're gonna make better choices. You're gonna live a more fulfilling, abundant life and that's the life God wants for you and your family. So don't don't make Christianity about do's and don'ts. Make it about intimacy with God, relationship with Him, understanding who He is, walking with Him daily so that you can understand His heart for people and be able to love them with a supernatural kind of love. God is so good to us, church. Because you know what? Even when we fail at this, like I do all the time, He's still good to us. He gives us another chance. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect, in your wor- made perfect in your weakness. I'm still with you, but you need to work on this. Spend some more time walking with me. Spend some more time trying to understand why people are the way they are instead of just calling them names and sharing nasty Facebook articles with everybody. Why is someone walking through what they're walking through? How can you be joy to them despite what they do to you or believe how you believe? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, this is a tough message. It's simple. It's love God, love people, and it's something we hear all the time. It's hard to live out. It's hard to walk out. And God, I'm asking you for grace to do this, God, because we can't do it on our own. I'm asking for you to lead us and guide us by your spirit, Lord. I'm asking that as we seek your face, you would speak to us and through us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, Father, each and every day. And as you do that, I pray you would soften our hearts transform and soften our hearts to be more pliable, more able to receive from you, more gracious. And then, Lord, help us to see people the way you do. 
God, all of our lives, you've been faithful. You've been so good to us. Help us, Lord, to respond out of that gratitude and faithfulness and goodness to walk with you and love people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.